0: This podcast contains occasional rude words and possibly some very wrong concepts, so you have to blame yourself for listening, and we hope you have a laugh. G'day, it's the Moon Man here, Lawrence Mooney. Did you ever have a childhood dream denied, but can live with yourself because at least you tried? Check out this podcast, Saturday Afternoon Fever, with Matthew Hardy and myself, where we remember... What we were like as naughty kids, terrible teenagers and young, drunk, idiot adults.
1: Welcome back to Saturday Afternoon Fever. I am Matthew Hardy. That's me. And I am Lawrence Mooney. And this podcast, which is powering ahead toward its uh, final stanza, and we've done a switcheroony. Instead of me reading the book and Lawrence commenting upon it, we have reversed the roles
0: and that came uh after the final chapter where matthew became very critical of his own writing as he from 1999 perspective started to uh, speculate about what the future would hold and how he wanted it to unfold and then there was a coda to the book called the end note and so i have asked if i can read it and so we are on to the final few pages of saturday afternoon fever end note back to the book Imagine living in a country where music didn't exist, where if you asked someone whether they'd heard the latest song by, say, Britney Spears, they'd respond by asking, what was a song? What about a country where movies didn't exist or books, a country where the term Lord of the Rings elicited no response whatsoever? What are you going on about Just wait, hang in there. Okay, okay. No, they hadn't seen the movie, mainly because they didn't know what a movie was. Nor had they read the book because there was no such thing as books. They didn't even know what the word book meant. You're trying to tell me there's thousands of words printed on hundreds of pages, which are arranged in a certain order so that when you look at them, a story unfolds in your mind. They'd say, Get off the grass. <laughs> and you'd say, What's grass? <laughs> this is pretty much how I describe being an AFL follower in England, where I lived and worked through much of the 90s. The English do not know about footy. Well, they do, Matthew, but they. About a... our footy. Yeah. AFL footy. So you should have written our footy there. No. Being more inclusive. Not being apologetic to an English reader. For calling it footy. Okay, fair enough. They don't care. It may as well not exist. The number one interest in my life was eliminated upon arrival. And that's true because basically I didn't realise until I got to
1: England, as many other people would have done before me, how much as a meant, mad, uh, obsessive football fan... of my conversation is taken up by talking to people who are also interested in footy about every possible aspect of who's injured, who's getting suspended, why, you know, who did they hit, what injury Mm. did they do. Just all day, every day, especially during the six-month season, it's all encompassing of every conversation with everybody I talk to, okay? But then suddenly I land in a country where football does not exist, as a concept, the way that so we know it.
0: your first love becomes a second language. And
1: I only have 20% of my conversational remaining aspects because the other 80% has been wiped out.
0: So for the first time in your life, you realised how vacuous and vapid you are. <laughs> Boring and tedious and one-track minded. What an awful feeling. It was. But then you have to adapt, don't you? Yeah, you have to. It was a shock. I mean, I suppose it would
1: have been the same if I went to Hungary or Croatia. Did you, or, you, know, did you Croatia.
0: develop a uh, a love of EPL?
1: Well, have no, you ever I, wasn't game, interest? I wasn't game to follow the English Premier League because I knew that whoever I picked would also be shit. I didn't want to curse them. Right. And it's true because I would have picked, if I had to, Tottenham,
0: who, yeah. Tottenham you know, Hotspur. Exactly, Tottenham Hotspur. Um, who were great, had more, much more success than St Kilda ever have. But, but not during the time I was
1: in England. Right. So what I did by accident was follow individual players for various teams. My favourite was Frank who who is a defender for Chelsea, who came come from France, as you would say, or France, as I would. And uh, he played in the World Cup winning team eventually. But yeah, Frank Leboeuf, he used to write this brilliant article each week
0: in the Times. But I'd on. only call it France in order to complete the dirty did he? The girls in France pull their knickers down to dance. (laughs) (laughs) Is that true? I don't know. No, it's not true. Um, It would be difficult to do, wouldn't it? Yeah, no. Practically. It's like when you're a kid and you pull your undies around your ankles with your brothers and do an undie run.
1: (laughs) And you would got that
0: kind of like shackled thing where you run along with your undies around your ankles. Never did that. that. I had two older brothers, but I think we were more civilised than you, perhaps. Or less fun. Right.
1: Back to the book. So hang on, what are you doing? You're running down the corridor together.
0: With your, your undies around your ankles, so you've got this kind of shackle around your ankle. You can only take little steps. Right. And the fact that you're running in a funny way, but also you're naked. And you, you lived in can... jigglers are belting themselves up and down. Yeah, and it's everyone's in hysterics because right. it's absolutely absurd. At what age did you see that stuff? About 43. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Back to the book. Trying to discuss AFL footy with an Englishman. Oh, sorry. Try discussing AFL footy with an Englishman. Reading's not my f- <laughs> my, my strong suit by the looks of things. <laughs> Chances are, if he's seen the game at all, he'll remember the tight shorts and the sleeveless jerseys. Guernseys, please. I know. That was the...
1: Uh, you know what? I'm glad you pointed that out. That was written... That was one of the rare words that were adjusted in the edit... And it was too late, and I remember vehemently trying to correct that with my publishers, and they went, yeah. too late, we've gone to print. And I went, but...
0: Y-. It's the other code. It's NRL that refer to their yeah. tops as jerseys. I
1: stand corrected, but and I couldn't we recall it. it
0: the Guernsey. Yeah. Interestingly, both are a breed of cow and a Channel Island. Guernsey that's, that's- and Jersey are both cows and islands and tops worn in footy. I find that extremely interesting.
1: I'm not sure if anyone outside of you and I might, but that doesn't matter cuz we're the ones talking to each other. I can
0: interest myself at times. Yeah. I don't need other people's approval. Yeah. Yeah, you <laughs>
1: might find you need to more
0: often than you imagine. He'll remember the tight shorts and the sleeveless jerseys at best. He'll probably ask if it's He'll probably ask if it's some Aussie version of WWF wrestling. My English girlfriend who I lived with in London for 3 years who was into sport and who saw me seated before countless videotapes featuring AFL sent from home, made one memorable inquiry into the content of what I was watching. What's that butcher doing between the big white stick, she asked. We split up not long after that. <laughs> she, of course, was referring to the goal umpire. Yes. who used, to, used wear to wear a kind of butcher's hat.
1: And a long white butcher's coat. Yes. And considering this is the last episode of this season... Uh, another
0: reference to butchers was made in the first episode. That's right. Uh, When a football coach on a wet day referred to the ball being as greasy as a butcher's cock. Um, (laughs) Of course, that butcher uh, would have clean and pristine hands because he wouldn't be handling meat. All he was doing was handling the sticks of the gold flags. Correct. What do you expect someone to understand? Oh, Jesus. You're wearing spectacles. What else is there? To give you a hand here. <laughs> do you well, need a cuddle? Good writing it help. <laughs> oh! <gasps> <Bang>! Some syntax. <laughs> how do you expect someone, back to the book, how do you expect someone to understand why you're supposed to hate Collingwood when they don't know what, who, or where a Collingwood is? One bloke I met in Oxford said he thought a Barassi was what we called a really good punch. A Barassi. I'm serious. Unfortunately, so was he. I should have given him a Reese Jones for his trouble. Reese Jones, of course, famous,
1: famous the for throwing football. punches left, left, right, and, right, and centre. <laughs> where and, else and,
0: would you? Where else would you throw <laughs> punches if and, it
1: wasn't left, right, and centre? No, and famous for landing those
0: same punches. Of course, whenever I went out of my way to try and watch or talk footy at an Aussie-themed pub in England, I'd usually end up drinking with some bloke from Queensland who'd be more into footy than the English, yet more into rugby, yet more into rugby than Aussie rules. And so we'd end up even more homesick than we were before. We separately set out to desperately try to find a sporting soulmate from home. Yeah, the writing's not great. <laughs> No, I'm I'm sorry. It's my reading. Let me try that again so I get that sentence right because it's a long one. Of course, whenever I went out of my way to try and watch or talk footy in an Aussie-themed pub in England, and there were many of them, no doubt. The Walkabout was the most famous. Yeah. Attached to Jonglers Comedy Clubs. No, not at all.
1: No. Okay. Completely
0: separate entity.
1: Yep. Jonglers Comedy clubs. Jonglers, uh, being a Latin word for jester, which when I got to England had two (laughs) venues
0: and when I left England had 22 venues. And can thank you for that expansion too. I'd be in an Aussie-themed pub in England. I'd usually end up drinking with some bloke from Queensland who'd be more into footy than the English, yet more into rugby than Aussie rules. And so we'd both end up even more homesick than we were before we separately set out to desperately try to find a sporting soulmate from home. And I don't know about him But after such evenings on the Fosters or the Forex, in brackets, which I'd never touch back here, that's what they think we all drink, I'd then hit the phone and talk to anyone in Australia who'd listen to my drunken, tearful dribble about Brereton at the MCG in the 89 grand final or Mickey Conlon in 86 out at Waverley. Oh, that's a cruel reference because he kicked the winning goal in the elimination final to put Essendon out of its three-peat I hate that word, but that chase. And the next day, the world would be a better place until the phone bill arrived the next week. Oh, the phone bill! How expensive was it to phone internationally back in the day? Like ten bucks a
1: minute. And if you rang up your brother, (laughs) you rang up, you rang up your brother, or your mother pissed. Yeah, you'd be on the phone for ages. You'd have to. It was because you. But okay, if you rang the number. Be like double O double one
0: double four. Oh no, yeah. that's that's ringing from here to there. Yeah, but hold on, you ring the number, so you, you get the international code double double one. then the country code, then the area code 03, yep. and then your mum's phone number in Glen Waverley. Then what do you hear next? <laughs> oh, that? that yeah, you know. No, that are you are you confusing that with the waiting for the internet to connect? No, no, the or the fax. No, for the international number, it'd be the. I thought it was just like the old STD. Yeah. And then the-
1: either way, I'm about to start bawling because either way, to hear your mum's voice coming from your childhood home, knowing how happy she was to hear yeah. her child who was on the other side of the world and had been for a while and probably had never, you know, hadn't rung for too long a time since the previous time, it would just be like gravy on her roast beef. It was like you were the roast beef and she was the gravy you know, for Sunday night dinner or something. It was just amazingly beautiful and wonderful and just uh, all enveloping and
0: just you're wholesome. Such a, you're such a mummy's boy. Good. That's so a good sh- thing, yeah. So I should be. Yeah, good on you for reprimanding me for I'll saying that. I love a mum. Yeah, and you should. And she's
1: currently 86. She's in aged care. Mm. She's, you know, obviously maybe time on in the final quarter of her existence. Absolutely. My brothers and I are lucky to have a uh, parent still with us. And we are
0: milking every moment we can while we can. And long may she be the gravy on your roast beef, my friend. Thank you. You're a beautiful man raised, clearly, by a beautiful woman. If absence makes the heart grow fonder, then it also makes a book that has, so far, luckily for me, been well received. It charts my life, one which I feel lucky to have led. From the age of nine through to 29, from 1979 to 1999, a book which, when I was writing it in London, made me stop for weeks at a time and wonder, why the hell will anyone want to read my stock standard suburban existence? Can I just interrupt there and say, let alone 20 years hence, reading it out on a podcast? <laughs> which the, the idea of which had not occurred to anyone at that stage. <laughs> no, just imagine if you had have thought of imagined the podcast in these pages. I know. We wouldn't be sitting here with Derek. We'd be, we'd de- be on a yacht. Yeah, <laughs> we'd be mocking Mark Zuckerberg's lack of comparative wealth. We'd be surrounded by women wearing swans jumpers, <laughs> just because we could. <laughs> a book which has since hitting the bookshop shelves, or, or, or as I should say, and has, as we have been observing, as a or a moray. Eh? Back to the book. Yes. Yes. A book which has, since hitting the bookshop shelves, seen people I've never met write letters from the strangest places telling me that they thought they were reading their own diary. That's lovely. A woman told me she used to hate footy for stealing the men from her life, but now she understands exactly why her father's brothers, husbands and son... (coughs) It's okay, mate. Do you need a hug? No. A woman told me she used to hate footy for stealing the men from her life, which is very lovely. But now she understands exactly why her father, brothers, husband and sons have had to heed the call. An email from a fellow who'd been working in Zurich for over five years explained how his mum sent a copy after he spoke of being homesick and reading it had helped. A New Yorker whose visiting Aussie cousin left it behind wrote that he'd read it for something to do one day and was now planning to travel to Australia as a result. That's fair dinkum. A lady said she'd read it and laughed out loud, but every time she laughed, she also cried because she couldn't help but think of her late husband.
1: That's true. Virginia Virginia, most... Dun, Virginia Dunleavy. I would never forget that lady's name. And the and the, the um, calligraphy or the style of handwriting uh, from a woman of her generation. Still copper got, plate, beautiful. Oh, oh, I've still got the letter... Um, I think I contacted her. I think I invited her to the first live one man show version of this show uh, that I performed at the comedy festival, maybe in two thousand.
0: We should see if Virginia's still around. Mm, She was
1: aging back then. I know she'd be breaking records if she is. And hello to Virginia, if so.
0: But yeah, Yeah. that was back when her family.
1: That's back when people would still write handwritten letters. Mm. You know, and uh, when you what
0: a beautiful thing to receive.
1: Yeah, but now, like, are we going to print out our emails or our texts? No. So how are people going to have like a glory box about their early romances or their travels or postcards or par avion air letters, as we would all send from overseas? I I advance, mourn
0: the lack of those keepsakes that people today will not have. When my father died back in 1987, one of the things that I kept was this old um, brown leather briefcase that he used to take out to the car every morning, put in the boot, He'd drive off to work. He worked as a... Um, Drug dealer. <laughs> his name was Pablo Escobar. <laughs> no, he worked for um, Patent Brakes and Repairs, PBR Repco. And, Repco. Uh, so he would make uh, hydraulic systems and brake systems for trucks. He was a mechanical engineer and toolmaker. Anyway, so we always thought that there was plans or some tools or whatever. When he died, opened the briefcase inside were all the love letters he'd written to my mum when he was in Australia in 1951 and she was back in England and the letters that he'd received from her. And he bound those letters and he put them in that briefcase and he carried that briefcase with him every day to work and then every day he'd bring that briefcase back in. And in it were some other keepsakes from his Air Force days, but the majority of what was in that briefcase love letters from my mum. That is absolutely beautiful,
1: and surely that's a book that you need to write. Have you kept... Have you, do they remain, those letters? They do. Uh, Damien Callanan did oh, an amazing story yes, about similar love lines, letters
0: yes, and, at this year's Comedy Festival. And
1: I attended that and went up to him to say, you know, great job afterwards. Called and, Double Feature about the love letters ex, uh, exchanged between his mum and dad during right. the war years. That's right. Well, when I went to say to him, great show... I start I burst into tears like to the point where I couldn't talk and so he was left standing there high and dry waiting to receive my plaudits but I was bawling like a baby because I did think at various times throughout that beautiful show of his oh why am I not crying because I could feel the waves of emotion like rolling up and down my sinews sinew whatever right my so I could it was really emotionally connecting to me on a cellular level yes and i was wondering why am i not crying and i didn't realize it had built up until i went to say great job mate and just burst into tears on the poor bastard leaving him standing there not knowing what to do Mm. or say and what he did say is hey uh i'm going to the pub across the road in 10 minutes maybe i'll see you there Mm. sort of gave me a helping hand and then i did sort of stand in a corner for a second with my hand over my face and just
0: ball i was sober Well, it's either the show or the fact that you're having a nervous breakdown and a midlife crisis. (laughs) I'd seek some professional help. (laughs) But he does have a beautiful way of turning a story, Damien. Oh, Um, masterful. The movie uh, that was based on the stage show, the, not The Recruit, what's it called? The Merger. The Merger, yes, uh, is a wonderful story. So, yeah, he's a... He's a great rhapsodist and a terrific writer.
1: Damien and a comedian extraordinaire. So, and, uh, and he does a character, which is a f-
0: philosophical football coach called Troy Carrington. We've got to get him on as a guest. Yes. Can you put your phone down? Because I'm about to keep reading I'm from I'm trying the
1: book. to look up the name of his show. So if we're going to talk about it, it's we It's called can Double
0: get... Feature. Oh,
1: thank you. Yeah. Oh, you've already said that. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm so distracted by your inability to read. <laughs> <laughs>
0: which is exactly what my grade 3 teacher said to me. Sit down. You're distracting
1: me. Stop whispering about Tinkerbell with your hands
0: under the desk. In fact, there was Tinkerbell's bell. Yes, just rang. That is right. And we are into the final paragraphs of this book. Back to the book, a man from Sydney holidaying in Miami accidentally dropped it off a yacht he was sunning himself on and wanted to know where he could buy another one. I said I'd send a copy over if he could get me Don Johnson's autograph, but I haven't heard from him since. Don Johnson, of course, starring in Miami Vice. Sensational cop show. He was Crockett and played opposite Tubbs. Yep. And I spent a lot of time in Miami trying to visit all of the
1: scenes all of the locations did you play a uh yes no well, I went and saw lie, which is uh, apparently invented by american indians and it's kind of like lacrosse i would say first nation Americans. first nations okay fair enough uh i stand corrected but um it's kind of like a lacrosse and uh squash Combined. But the ball is slung out of a curved tube. A, c- a curved racket is what mm. they call it. Right. Um, uh, not unlike the lacrosse racket, if that's what it's called. It's kind of a called a lacrosse net, I think. Right. And they bounce off. They bounce the ball. You can bounce them off the side walls, off the ceiling, not off the floor. Uh, and they play at, off both ends, off both walls. Kind of like if you could play squash. Off both ends, both but the four, ball
0: in front of you and behind but you. But the ball is as hard as a cricket oh, ball. Oh, it could kill you. Yeah, yeah, and so people do get seriously well, So injured. I went,
1: I went there, but it was like going to a small town racetrack on a Tuesday arvo. It's it's only there. existence. There's nobody there, and it was just drunks and neer do wells and homeless people. Sounds and, uh, awesome. Sounds yeah, it like was, my crowd. Yeah, well, it was my crowd too, and um, it's its existence is purely for the punt.
0: Oh, okay. I thought it
1: was a sport. You know, like all sports now, you yeah. can punt on, but I don't think you could bet on footy when we were kids, could you? No, you couldn't. Absolutely. It was couldn't. just for entertainment, mm-hmm. the spectacle itself. Well, this is one of those sports that if there was no betting, it wouldn't exist. The high lie.
0: Yeah, I did go. That's what I. I you know what? I'm going to go online. I'm going to gamble on high lie later. Gamble right. responsibly. Back to the book. Please. Obviously, I'm wrapped about these reactions. I'm wrapped the book was ever published in the first place. I'm wrapped a single copy ever sold. I'm wrapped it sold out the first and second prints at HarperCollins. And I'm wrapped it's now been recruited by Jane Palfreyman at Random House.
1: Oh Well, thank you.
0: I firstly need to
1: mention, if we're going to mention Jane Palfreyman, who did recruit it to uh, uh, Penguin, which is now Penguin Random House, uh, uh, PRH. Um, but before that was Alison Urquhart, uh, that she is the definition of decadence. Right. And, uh, English woman who's lived here for 20 years now, publisher uh, just of the highest order. Of course, she saw a future in my book. And then. Um, good on you, Alison Urquhart. She is one of the more interesting individuals, more uh, most intriguing and lovely uh, people you ever want to meet, and very good at her job. Obviously, I think that because she made my book happen.
0: Let's Thank not, you, Alison. I let's very not much appreciate Let's turn this
1: final coda,
0: no, no. end note, into an acknowledgement. No, page. no, no, no. But, but you, mentioned, Al- yeah. you
1: mentioned Jane Palferman, and I, I read can't, Jane Palferman. You read Jane Palferman, who is a legend herself. Absolute water. She is a woman that you'll never forget once you've met her. She's a
0: champion. But dear, Actually, I the I publishing world is peopled with fantastic women that really take an interest in... Obviously, literature and the production of a book and the writers. But it's such a, a nurturing place to be around. It is sensational women. Yep. And their ability to uh, spot talent in a fledgling
1: author and, like you say, nurture it and uh, improve their abilities and, and and sometimes perfect the abilities if the book ends up to be a, a, a well-seller
0: or a best-seller. And this has been a best-seller. And those poor, frustrated women, Jane Polferman and Alison Urquhart, still both waiting for your second book.
1: <laughs> well, you the You lazy, one... unrealised- No. The first one <laughs> encapsulated a 20-year period from nine to 29. So how many years since then? Ooh, hello. 29 to
0: 53, 24. Are we, are we got a new book coming I reckon out? we've got a new book coming out. All right. Well, let's finish this one.
1: And you know what? We might even uh, write that book on the fly as part of season two of Saturday Afternoon Fever, which is going to involve both you and I becoming young adults and uh, beginning to chase our dreams. Because my first dream was
0: denied, which was to play footy, of course. And your second dream has been realised to be a great stand-up. Back to the book. Fortunately, I've been back home a few years now, living again in a country where footy not only exists, but in some ways explains the meaning of life. Well, it does if your team's winning anyway, Matthew writes bitterly. Otherwise, no way it was my shout last time can be as deep as a day at the footy ever delves, which is often explanation enough. At the time of writing, St Kilda, the AFL footy club my life seems to have mirrored, has won the first 10 games of the season are and are on top of the ladder. An all-time record success rate. It's been a roller coaster ride up until this point. Yet if the Saints can continue to progress, then hopefully so can I. The final paragraph of the book. My brother's kids are being raised in the same suburban surrounds as we were, and I'll hope and I hope they'll one day look back on their childhoods with affection. We're a fight on the lawn with the hose when it's hot is heaven on earth. Sure. I failed to become a footy star, but as their uncle, if I've got anything to impart, it might be that taking your eye off the ball isn't always a bad thing. Sometimes looking away lets you see some other exciting stuff instead. Matthew Hardy, June 2004. And that is the final page on Saturday Afternoon Fever. Uh, That is one of the final episodes of the book, We are going to continue. Can I, uh, as I've said many times, just add that this has been a fantastic experience. I've really enjoyed it. I didn't think it was going to work. You said, how about I read the book and you just interrupt whenever you want? And I thought, all right. Here we go, another one of Hardy's crazy ideas. I thought it was your idea. <laughs> you came to me with three podcast ideas. Did I? Stop reinventing history. No, I've I probably lied
1: to myself. So I can oh, sleep well, if it's night. a
0: massive success, yeah, it was my idea. Well, <laughs> <no>. <laughs>
1: What do you mean, if? Um, it uh, Yeah, one of the other ideas with dads of
0: daughters, which I'd still love to do, but anyway, go yeah. on. So uh, not only have I got great praise for you, I've really enjoyed this. And uh, finally, some praise for Saturday afternoon fever. The funniest book I have ever read in my entire life. I must have read it ten times and have woken my wife by laughing too loud on more than one occasion. Gary Lyon, quoted in Women's Weekly. Oh, it's morning and you'll
1: Football season, and, and that's, that's the, the reason it's the time, the time of your coat and your hat and, and your, and 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 your, and your thermos the and, and, your team your team and your big bag. <laughs> football season, it's the football season, it's the time of the year that we
0: love. I'm Nicholas V.
1: Thanks for joining us.
0: Ample, hee hee. Is this thing on? Yeah, that's on. Don't touch.